Welcome to the Living Jewishly Podcast. I'm Dr. Elliot Nolan. I'm Rabbi Yossi Saperman. And I'm Rabbi Bluth. We talk about Judaism, and we talk about living, and we talk about everything in between. And what it means to be Jewish and human in today's world. Judaism is not nearly as boring as I thought it was. We're not selling you on Judaism. We're not selling you on living. We're just trying to get you inside of our brains, the way we think about stuff. And the way we feel about stuff. And we'll try to be as real as possible. By getting you into our Jewish brain, you'll argue a lot, you'll disagree, you'll love, you'll eat, you'll have a really good time, you'll learn a lot of things, and you know what? You might actually find that all those 3,000 years have been worth it. And maybe we'll even come out being better people for it. Welcome to Sacred Time, a podcast from Living Jewishly where we explore the healing art of the Hebrew calendar. My name is Bluth. And my name is Ganga Devi. And together we are exploring the wisdom of each of the 12 months of the Hebrew calendar as they relate to our lives today. Our intention for this podcast is that it be rooted in tradition, blossom into relevance in the present moment, and lead us all to the ripening of a beautiful Jewish future. Welcome to the podcast for the month of Tishrei. Welcome and Shana Tova, everyone. We hope that you had beautiful Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur Mm -hmm. and are excited to continue our journey with you in this podcast as we shift into the holiday of Sukkot. We're in the podcast for the month of Tishrei, the first month of the year from Rosh Hashanah, the seventh month in our calendar, and this month that really holds the gifts of many holidays with many themes. And as we are about to welcome Sukkot into our lives tonight, step into our booths, into our sukkahs. We will give some context framing and wisdom around this time that you can sort of hold in your hearts as you walk into your sukkahs or as you just step out of your houses and into the outdoors. And to start us off, Gangadevi, will you share with us the beautiful words of Rabbi Alan Luz? Yes, gladly. Yeah, so this is from Rabbi Alan Liu's book, This is Real and You Are Completely Unprepared, which I strongly recommend and was recommended to me by Elliot Malamet, who is our our podcast buddy here at Living Jewish. This is from the beginning of the book and directly follows a beautiful meditation on the High Holy Days leading up to and including Yom Kippur. This is the section of Sukkot. Some days later, you find yourself building a house a curious house, an incomplete house, a house that suggests the idea of a house without actually being one. This house has no roof. There are a few twigs and branches on top, but you can see the stars and feel the wind through them. And the walls of this house don't go all the way around it either. Yet, as you sit in this house, eating the bounty of the earth, you feel a deep sense of security and joy. Here. In this mere idea of a house, you finally feel as if you are home. The journey is over. At precisely this moment, the journey begins again. The curious house is dismantled. The king calls you in for a last intimate meal. And then you set out on your way again. We're stepping out of our homes into our homes. Mm. We step into a fragile house in order to have our homecoming. And we do it in some ways to start a whole new journey. So we land in order to journey, (laughs) in order to move. (laughs) This really speaks to me as a nomad, (laughs) the building of homes wherever we are on the earth. In this podcast, we often begin with remembrance. We begin by looking back 
to the origins of the, these holidays of the time that we are in, in order to sort of root ourselves historically, understand what the container is for this time, and then we bring it into the present and into the future, of course. And if we look back for Sukkot, we can look into sort of the both the biblical and rabbinic traditions for insights into what this holiday is about. And in the Torah, we're told that at this time of year, we take a holiday for seven days, that we rest on the first and eighth day, and that in this holiday, we dwell in Sukkot, we dwell in sukkahs, in booths, so that the generations will remember that God took us out of Egypt. So the first rooting of this holiday has to do with rest. It has to do with this sort of fragile home in nature, booths, stepping out into something new. And it has to do with freedom and liberation. We're reminded that when when the Israelites left Egypt, that they were wandering for many years in the desert and that they slept in these booths. And so that's kind of our first anchor for this holiday. And the second anchor for the holiday is the rabbinic tradition, which brings these booths into a super agricultural context, where this is a harvest holiday. It's a festival of of harvesting. And we're told that after we put our booths out in our fields and we go out and we harvest and we collect all of the bounty that we have been, you know, sowing and tilling and reaping. And after this harvesting, the sages tell us that we're going to rejoice. We're going to bring our bounty. This is a pilgrimage holiday. So we're going to take, you know, of what we have, we're going to head to Jerusalem and we're going to be in huge party (laughs) and huge celebration. And they even tell us that we are supposed to rejoice with our, with our partners, with our children, with those who work with us, those who work for us, with the stranger, the widow, those who, you know, there's a big equalizer again in this celebration. We're not just going to like a great Gatsby, you know, posh <laughs> Met Gala, like fancy elite party, but we're going to party with everyone mm. and we're going to celebrate the bounty with everyone. And so that those are the two kind of roots of this holiday. And of course, this holiday is, and we probably feel it now today, like as we shift from Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, from this sort of somber, introspective, serious time of, you know, Yom Hadin, this time of judgment and accountability and cleansing. It's It's been serious. And Sukkot comes as the time of our joy, where we actually transition from the seriousness, taking everything seriously, this existential high holiday time. And now we step out of the houses. We step into the natural world where we can say, oh, wow, I am a part of a greater system held by Mother Earth. I am a part of it. I am. I cycle with her. I feel the rains. I bless the bounty with what I eat. And suddenly we find ourselves, you know, holding four different species in a booth that is covered with branches, as, as you said, you know, this sort of stable but not stable kind of thing. We're, we're camping, mm-hmm. you know, and, and now we get to have the joy of camping. And seeing the stars. And seeing the stars. I love, I just love that, that aspect of the anatomy of a sukkah. I love that, you know, you have to be able to see the stars. Yeah. And that, that speaks to me of an element of, you know, the, the freedom and the lightness and the joy and the beauty and the magic of this time. Right. It is interesting to think, what is it about this holiday that's called, first of all, it's often referred to as Hachag, like the holiday. And it's referred to as Chag Ha'asif, this, this festival of our, this agricultural time of, of gathering. 
And it's referred to as man simchatenu. That's no little thing that this is called the time of our joy. Mm. And of course, you know, we know that joy isn't superficial. You know, it's not like be happy all the time at Sukkot. This is, of course, a joy that holds the multitudes of human experience and situates us to do that on the earth. Yeah. In the earth where you can see the stars, where you can feel the wind, where you feel into your fragility and yet root with your four species, with your ushpizin, you know, the ancestral guests that we call in with the, the blessings and the meals and the, and the celebrations where we root into the, the simcha, the joy that is quite beyond my individual emotional experience of joy. It's yeah. collective, it's global, and it can't be disconnected from the earth. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, you know, as I was preparing for this conversation and, and also just preparing to enter into Sukkot myself, you know, there's, there's all these themes and everything I was reading about of, of fragility. And I also think that, you know, there's this, an interesting interplay between the dynamic of, of fragility and acknowledging the fragility of our lives, of our homes, of the things that we take for granted, of our position in the world. I think, you know, it's a really powerful reminder of that. And also, I feel that there's this incredible stability that is also a strong theme of Sukkot that you were just speaking to as well, where we're rooting and there's there's a stability I think that, you know, everyone can find in relation to the calendar of just like having having the stability of knowing what this is and 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 returning to it over and over again. And, you know, I love I love hearing about people's memories of their experiences of Sukkot throughout their life. And, you know, that there is this this really grounding experience that is repeatedly experienced every single year over and over again. And there is the stability of knowing that even if our own homes were to collapse, we would still be able to find home with the earth that the earth can still supply so much life and so much stability and so much foundation for us. And also there's the stability of our relating to our ancestors. And, you know, there's a stability that comes from welcoming our ancestors in and also from welcoming the community in, welcoming neighbors, welcoming people of all classes. There is this incredible experience of, you know, I, I personally feel that some of the truest security that we can experience in our lives and in the world is is the security that comes from being really stably rooted in community. And what a beautiful time the, you know, experience the journey from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur is like filled with all of the teshuva. You know, you're like, you're like really self-reflecting. You're really like dealing with yourself in a deep way and yeah. and required to go deep inside of yourself and to clean clean up your act, you know, to clean, to get your shit together <laughs> for one of a, there's like no better term, I think, you know, <laughs> for totally. what we're required to do, for what Teshiva is really is like cleaning up our act. And then this experience of Sukkot is like, and then you go outside of your home, you go outside of yourself and you become not only more connected with the people around you and the people that you welcome in to your Sukkah to, to join you for meals and the, the ancestors that you bring in as well to join you through this, this sacred time. But you're also welcoming in these species. You know, there's a multi-species relationship dynamic to this all and it's all just so rich and feels so nourishing. And, and all of that to me feels very stabilizing. When I feel my life collapsing around me, which I think, you know, many of us have felt in different ways at different times in our lives. And certainly, you know, in the second year of COVID, we're all able to, to register that on a collective level. 
there's this incredible, beautiful power that we can find and, and stability and strength that we can find in relating to nature and in, in connecting with the living world. I know that, you know, when COVID began disrupting all of our lives, one of the only things that I could do to ground myself was to go out and garden and to go out and just put my hands in the soil and be in relationship with the earth. And I love that this is a very clearly structured invitation to do that in a, in a really beautiful way that can be accessible to so many different people and, and look, and it looks like so many different things for different people all around the world. And, and it's, and it's always about this thing of, you know, go outside, commune, be joyful, even through the fragility and instability of, of the structures that we depend upon. It's really beautiful. Gorgeous. You just said it so well. I feel like we could probably turn off this podcast <laughs> now and, and we would have we would have sort of shared what our, our hearts have hoped to share. And of course, for those listening, Ganganevi and I met during COVID via Instagram and mm-hmm. our friendship began on Zoom until we actually met each other in person in Mexico. You, you know, you're saying that during COVID that you went out to your garden. And my memory, like my visualization of you via Zoom is a Ganganevi in tropical Florida in a semi-ashram environment with tons of plants and tropical plants and flowers and beauty. And your home throughout COVID was a place of almost like jungle and a jungle that wasn't a jungle that's something that you and your family have created, right? That's not Maybe that is Florida's natural habitat, but Florida has... <laughs> well, most people who live in Florida don't and live like that. Don't know that. Yeah. Right, exactly. And Florida has been, you know, golf coursed over over many times. And I know that's something you've, you've given a lot of effort to is the sort of building resilience through planting, planting Florida. And the joy that being held by the trees and the flowers and the plants and working with the earth has given was, I could see that in you. And I know that that's true. My happiest moments are like camping trips. You know, there's there's a reason that Heschel speaks so much of awe, like the awe, Heschel and Buber, I feel like the, the awe component of their wisdom has to do with like, where do we feel awe? It's often in nature. Yes. And where do we commune? Yeah. Where do we commune? You know, and, and how do we commune? You know, thinking about Martin Buber, you know, the immediately I and thou comes to mind. And, mm-hmm. and that's something that I'm so, I'm so passionate about in the world and in my own life is cultivating that I thou relationship, not only with the divine and not only with the people, with the humans that I'm in interpersonal relationship with, but with all of life. And that's Beautiful. kind of something that I, that I take on in, in my life personally is that I, I feel that that is absolutely necessary for, for Tukun Alam, for the healing of all that has been Gorgeous. fractured is to step into this, this deeply, deeply relational relationship with all of life, with all beings. And yeah, again, that's something that Sukkot allows us and, and invites us to do. And in a world that is troubled right now, where society is struggling so much, how beautiful to have a place to turn to, to root in, where we can find joy, where we can find small fleeting joy, which we can find a joy that can hold us in our grief, right? We're talking a big joy here, like an expansive joy here. And that joy that emerges so organically from our relationship with the living world around us. And I just want to come back to something that you highlighted, because I think it's so important. But this stepping out of our personal lives, we step out of the little boxes that define us in our home, out of the habitual. As just you just said, you know, stepping out of our boxes that of of our homes, but that also just brings to mind as well, stepping out of the boxes of our 
of our identity as well, you know, and thinking about the the way that Sukkot kind of can break down class structures. It's a really beautiful, powerful thing where it's like, okay, yeah, you might be in your mansion on on Palm Beach, for example, which is where, you know, I, I went to the ocean yesterday on Yom Kippur, you know, on Palm Beach, and mm. it was so beautiful. And, you know, there's these massive mansions and people are very sequestered and in their homes. And, and you know, our homes are such a huge part of our of our identity or of our class identity and of our you know, just so, so many aspects of how we yeah. protect ourselves and how we conceive of ourselves gets washed away in this moment of stepping outside into our sukkahs, even if it's in our yeah. massive backyards or whatever. It is. Right. And there's something in that when you step outside of the, the self and what is habitual. If on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we've been envisioning our new years, we've been envisioning new habits we want to form, new structures that we want to imagine and move towards as a society. It makes a lot of sense that the first step <laughs> to do all of that is literally to take a step. You know, you step outside yes. of your regularity, your comforts, your structures, and you, yeah, you, you shift into the fields, into where we are all fra- fragile, where we are all feeling the elements, whatever seasons are coming through. And in the East Coast, you know, in Toronto and New York, I, I mean, in the West Coast, there's been such weather recently. And when we do that, we sort of step outside, we step together and it disrupts our usual flow so that when we come back after, first of all, we have resourced ourselves, we are nourished, we have filled up from friends and food and family and nature. And also we have sort of disrupted our usual flow so that we can actually be doing this beginning again that we have called ourselves towards in Rosh Hashanah. And just to highlight again, that piece of the collective, which you had said originally, you know, we step outside to be with others, to be with nature, to be beyond ourselves. And I'm just thinking back to the temple version of Sukkot, which was a pilgrimage holiday, which meant that people were taking these steps and these journeys to get to Jerusalem and to truly party in Jerusalem. Like truly, Jerusalem, you know, they, every night of Sukkot was a, was a festival, was joyous. And if you're in Jerusalem now, you know, every night of Sukkot in Jerusalem is a party. You can go from, you can hop from sukkah to sukkah and find music jams. And it's so collective and so joyful. And, you know, you mentioned the ancestors, and I just want to sort of name this practice that you and I have mentioned a few times here, which is the practice of ushpizin is, I think it's Aramaic for guests in my mind. That's the literal translation. I might be wrong, but every night of Sukkot, we have ancestors that we traditionally invite into the sukkah. And so even if you don't have a sukkah, first of all, I encourage everyone to try to find, try to find a sukkah to have a meal in. And if you don't have a sukkah, build one. And if you don't want to build one, then just be outside and invite your loved ones, invite your ancestors, invite people of the past, root yourselves back in time as we step as a community into the natural world. And of course, the, the four species, you know, we have a lulav, etrog, hadas, and harava. We have these, you know, we take a tall palm frond, a etrog, like a citrus, this beautiful smelling citrus fruit, myrtle and willow branches, and we hold them together. And, you know, there's this practice. We bless being in the sukkah. We bless sitting in the sukkah. And we take these four species, these four beautiful plants of the earth, and we shake them. And we shake them in all the directions. So we're just talking about expanding ourselves into the collective, into an equalizer. That's, that's what we're doing with these species. We're holding four and the four is 
the, the sages apply many different symbolisms, but types of personality, parts of our body, you know, versions of, of the Israelites, like whatever it is, were, you know, and four, of course, in the Zohar is the four elements, the four directions, the four winds, four angels, you know, and we are shaking in, we're taking these four and we're shaking in, I guess, six directions. You know, we shake front, back, side, side, up and down. And, you know, it, it all, it's always seemed to me almost like, dare I say it? <laughs> um, almost like a pagan ritual, but in a beautiful sense. So we're taking of the earth and we are saying, I acknowledge what is beyond me. I have stepped out of my home and my habits. I've stepped into the natural world, the more than human world with friends and family. And I'm now taking from the earth and I am pointing it in all the directions to acknowledge what is beyond me, to acknowledge the mystery, to acknowledge the godliness, the holiness, the beauty that is in front, behind, to my sides, above and below me, that I am not only held by the natural world, but I'm held by a cloud, really, that I am sort of pointing toward with these species in this directionality. And that is, I think, another key to the joy of Sukkot. Again, we're, we're shifting from almost this like yeah, this really inward focused time of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur towards the social, the environmental, and the cosmic spiritual, it really blasts us out of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's a time of joy. It's not a time of reckoning. It's a yeah. time of joy. Well, and I feel like the joy, like so many aspects of this can be so supportive of the process of like integrating the intensity and the realizations and the revelations of the, you know, Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur time, which is, mm. yeah, it's intense. You know, this, this book by Rabbi Alan Liu, this is real and you are completely unprepared. The title is kind of terrifying and he speaks so much about how terrifying and, and overwhelming and massive in scale and cosmically significant the time of the high holy days is and and i do feel that yeah this is you know if i think about integration protocols for experiences of intensity you know there are integration protocols that are being developed for psychedelic experiences in the context of psychotherapy you know there's integration protocols that i feel should be developed for virtual reality experiences for all kinds of experiences of intensity we need to actually integrate really intense experiences in order to move forward, to have learned our lessons, to be able to actually be who we decided we would be while we were in an intense transformative experience. But even, even if that was just as simple, as universal and as significant and massive as a, as a religious tradition, we need to integrate these powerful experiences and so much of integration has to do and, and traditionally often looks like going outside, grounding, having a meal and talking to other people about your experience, being sweet and joyful and, 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 and reflective in a, in a way that is like, okay, let me take myself a little bit less seriously right now. And let me just talk with someone about what I experienced and what I learned about myself. So that's also an invitation that I, I just want to give to anyone, you know, even whether or not you're able to even access a sukkah, you know, I just moved into a new apartment and I don't have all of that big, luscious greenery and land in my immediate sphere as I did at the time when, when you and I first met. And so I'm kind of like, you know, contemplating, you know, I, I have a, the balcony of my apartment has a roof on it. You know, I can't actually see the stars from straight up above, but I can see them, you know, through the windows of the balcony. There's, 
you know, I'm having to figure out what it looks like for me to be celebrating and honoring this this holiday. But I know that one of the things that I can definitely do is invite some dear beloved friends over to have a meal in this in this indoor outdoor hybrid space and to share with them about my experience with the high holy days to share with them about what self-reflection emerged while I was fasting on Yom Kippur I can use this time to actually really be a, a bridge between the intensity of the high holy days and whatever way I honored them and and I invite you whoever's listening to reflect on whether it was a high holy days or perhaps even another you know powerful transformative experience that you've had recently allow this time of sukkot to be a time where you proactively reflect and share and integrate what you've been realizing about yourself so that you can move forward into being a more a more, more true, more integrous, more loving version of of who you are, who you truly are, and who you want to be in this world. This is a beautiful opportunity for that. Amen. The mystical tradition offers us something really sweet, I think, to support what you're saying about integration. They reflect that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are a time, a time of din, a time of sort of judgment and intensity. And Sukkot specifically is a time of chesed, of loving kindness. And mm-hmm. I think that points towards the joyousness and like the lightness and sweetness and fun of Sukkot. But when I think of the integration that you're speaking of, what integration requires is compassion, yes. is loving kindness, is being tender with yourself, with what was revealed, with your grief that's emerged, you know, with the the yearnings, the dreams, the dreams lost, the intensity of experience, and just kindness and self-compassion with yourself and the world as we sort of metabolize whatever processes we're going through. And so this this is a time of chesed and you know, you just invited everyone to use the earth as this place of rooting and integration. And I think that Sukkot offers us earth. And then at the end of Sukkot actually shifts us into water. Mm. And I think the flow of water, the cleansing of water, the nourishment of water is another beautiful component to integration. Yeah. And so t- tell us a little bit about about that. What is that transition with water? Because that's something that's a totally new concept for me. <laughs> and yeah. Very likely for others listening as well. Yeah. So, well, Sukkot ends with Hoshana Rabbah, which essentially the end of Sukkot, we shift into a time of water libations. That's what would happen in the temple. And we, on the last day, we take our willow branches and willows, a seven-year-old once told Risa, Risa, if you're listening, who, who runs Shorish, a, a Jewish environmental organization in Toronto, there's a seven-year-old that sort of enlightened us and said that a willow drinks seven bathtubs of water a day. Wow. That may or may not be true, <laughs> but it gets the point across that willows are thirsty. Willows are water plants. They're found at the sides of rivers. And when we take the willow branches, one of our four species, and we whack the willows on the ground as we are pouring out water, as we're praying for rain, as we're acknowledging that the waters are a gift from the heavens, and we are trusting that we will have water. We have this Simchat Beta Shoeva, this Hoshana Rabbah ritual ceremony festival where we are in this mode of water. And in the temple, there was something called Simchat Beta Shoeva, which is was literally a water drying, like mm-hmm. truly a party. And it would happen at the temple and it would sort of conclude Sukkot with a prayer 
we pray for, we begin to pray for the rains. We pray for water. We call in the waters for our next season of harvest and planting and whatever we need. But if we bring it back to this idea of integration, we both root in the ground and then we begin to water, water and nourish ourselves and cry and release and whatever it is. And so it's, it's a very elemental, you know, it is truly a very elemental season. And of course, here in, you know, in the Toronto area, Sukkot is, beckons the beginning of fall and the transition into a season of slightly more hibernation. And it's still probably pretty hot in Israel, probably pretty hot in Florida. And I know different diasporas and different places have different seasonal vibes with, with their holidays. But there is, you know, we are given these tools of the sukkah, of the four species, of the earth, of the stars, and of the water as resources to hold us and guide us as we integrate and as we sort of continue to welcome the new year and build our new year, you know, together in this book of life, in the book of aliveness. Yeah, really beautiful. Thank you, Blue. I just want to invite everyone listening to really step into all that we just covered in the way that feels like it's most resonant for you and your soul and your life. And I'm really curious, you know, to know how how you create a sukkah, how you connect with the earth during this time, how you relate to the 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 releasing of the the waters at the end of this. There's there's so many different ways to express this, and I think you know we we touched on a little bit that because of you know diaspora, there there are so many different manifestations of this time, and and how it's both from a historical ancestral perspective. There's so many beautiful wildly different stories and and images and and beautiful artifacts of how the high holy days and how Sukkot in particular manifests in different people's family and lineages and also in this moment in this time especially and including if you're like me stepping into stepping into Judaism in a way that is you know you're creating new memories and you're you're creating lineage in in real time and you're creating this this new relationship with the meaning of all of these. There's so many beautiful ways that this can be expressed. So I just also want to invite you to tag the Living Jewishly account on social media posts. If you're stepping into these things and claiming them and, and sharing about them, we want to know about it. Please share with us. Yeah. And I will add to that, that if you don't have your own sukkah this year, instead of welcoming in guests, you can be a guest, mm-hmm. you know, find yourself a place to go be a guest in to be a holy guest and you know that's another version of the the play of Sukkot here thank you Ganga Devi for that and you know if anyone is feeling okay in this podcast right now we covered the sort of earthy soul food Sukkot edition there's of course so much to layer on to Sukkot as it relates to the world around us today with climate change with with systems and politics and if you want to get a little touch a little taste of Sukkot sort of climate change edition, you should definitely tune into the other Living Jewishly podcast for Sukkot, which is a podcast with Dr. Elliot Malamit, who dives into questions of Judaism, fragility, systems. And it is sort of a shameless plug because I was also, I was a guest on that podcast along with a forest bathing queen, Julia Plevin. <laughs> and I have some fiery feelings about climate change that happened in that podcast. So if you want to come in from a sort of climate justice perspective to Sukkot this year, that is one place to begin. 
I, I look forward to listening to that. I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think we will wrap up now. And Gangadevi, as you were giving your final blessing, I, I have pictured an image in my mind and, and I'll end us off with this image that the Sukkot is the sort of square shape and something that we do with the four species and something that we do in synagogue for Sukkot is hakafot is the is encircling and leads us into Simchat Torah where we circle the bima we circle with the Torahs and so I just I want to leave everyone with the blessing that whatever shape is your shape of Sukkot this year if it's the square of the sukkah if it's the flow of water if it's the circling of human bodies in devotion that you are carried by the shapes and the flow of the natural world around us and of our rituals and that whatever whatever you step into doesn't actually take so much effort this year but it's full of ease it's full of grace and it comes from opening our eyes from opening our ears from it's all there around us already so less effort and more receiving yes beautiful thank you so much many blessings to all of you yeah have, yes. have, have a sweet, sweet, sweet sukkah. And hopefully we'll all tune into each other in the sukkah, in our sukkah waves. Yes. And we'll see you all next month. <laughs> next month. Full moon next month. Beautiful. Ciao. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Living Jewishly podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps more people like you find our show so that we can continue to grow the Living Jewishly community together. You can find us at livingjewishly.org and on YouTube and Instagram. Living Jewishly is living well with everyone.